Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Event Tech Talk Show. Um, I've lost track of what episode this is. I know it's season two, kind of coming to an end of season two, but it's season two, episode something. Please tell me in the comments or on LinkedIn when you when you see it, because uh, I forgot to look check. Um, but we are, one important thing uh, before we get started on today's episode, we are coming up to Event Tech Live taking place on the 16th and 17th of November at our new home, Excel London. Um, registration is live, so if you've not registered yet, please do so, eventtechlive.com. Um, register now on the top. We have some amazing companies. In fact, I've just put an email out to some people in my network of the companies that are already registering to come along. So come along, access the free education, get involved with the exhibitors. There's some fantastic companies offering some fantastic event technologies to help you with engagement and lead capture and robotics and facial recognition and, and hey there's even the virtual event platforms if you're scouting out for one of those um so yeah eventtechlive.com come and see us on the 16th of 17th of november on today's podcast episode i'm joined by jeff campbell the founder of a company called incently um now incently are an interesting um, technology provider, which I'm sure we'll touch upon what they help those organizing events do. But today's conversation is around integrations, in fact, and partnerships. And in fact, Jeff has um, written two playbooks, the Partnership Playbook 1 and 2, is that right, Jeff? Part 1, Part 2? Um, it is. Which we'll get into. Uh, but Jeff, welcome to today's episode. Thank you for joining me Um in a, in, a, in a time zone that suits us both uh, for this episode, which is a rare. But could you give a little bit of background on yourself and how you got started with Instantly and how you ended up supporting events? Awesome. Thanks so much, Adam, for having me on today. I'm really excited about being here. Uh, it's been a long, I feel like it's been a long time coming that we should be uh, chatting about this stuff. Uh, I've been in kind of connected to the uh, in Event Tech Live uh, family for probably just over a year now, year and a half. Mm -hmm. And uh, we kind of fell into the event industry uh, from the work that our company originally started in. And that's the e-learning side of uh, e-learning vertical, I should say. And uh, my background is in education, and I got really interested in online learner engagement and gamification. And so we started to, we, we formed a company and built uh, an integration that works into learning management systems. And to this day, we still have a number of projects in there that are specific to B2B enterprise customer education uh, projects are kind of the main thing that we, we work on. And during the pandemic, uh, some of the e-learning platforms that we work with, they run their own events. And those events, they actually run on the e-learning platform. And if you get creative, you can kind of morph uh, an e-learning system to manage an event. And so during COVID, uh, we were approached by one of our large integration partners, and they're running their own events on their platform and said, hey, can we use your technology in our event to drive engagement uh, for our attendees and uh, provide additional value for the exhibitors and sponsors. And so at that time, I was super excited because the attendees at the event were all people who actively used that learning management system. So I thought, what a great way to put people in front of our platform when they're the, going to experience the system as, an, as a student would, as the attendees. 
And so the response was overwhelmingly positive. People went crazy for, for the technology that we were offering. And it was at that moment, it was, we were looking at the, the, the data and the results and the feedback. And it was this very, very obvious decision like, wow, well, we need to offer our platform in the event space. And right at that time, we were building out our open API and updating our dashboard. And so we were looking to, to partner and combine or integrate our technology in more learning management systems. But really, the, the system that we integrated with didn't matter. And so uh, we spun off a new vertical, a new brand called Incently, uh, targeting specifically the event industry. And what we've learned is really, uh, it's, this is going to sound, sound incredibly naive, but it took me a while to figure out, like, what's the overlap between mm. these two verticals, like the e-learning space and the event space? And it took months, months to come up with this. But really, the, the overall theme is learning. Like, both verticals are all about learning. And they, they can come about it in different ways. But bottom line is, is I think there's a ton that both industries can learn from each other. And because of the nature of our technology being an integration, the only way that our platform works is by partnering. And so therefore we're an integration and a partnership model in both verticals. And so over the last year and a half, much of my work has been done on really getting better at the partnership model in terms of how you approach it, um, what are the best practices in terms of just sourcing those partnerships all the way down to client, like customer success. So um, in the intro, when you said like, oh, you're on to like partner playbook number two, um, I don't even know how many playbooks we're gonna have because they just keeps building. Like you start yeah. to have these conversations and then you realize, oh, we're missing this and we're missing this. Um, but ultimately the goal is to make partnerships as easy as they possibly can be. And we basically have everything ready so that when we do take on a new partner, they're not asking like, what's the next steps? We actually can just say here, here's what, here's how this works. Um, so that's our ultimate goal. There's so much in there I'd love to unpack with. And I, I will remember that we're here to talk about that partnership piece and those integrations and the different ways that I can do and, and your learnings from working with organizations like Cvent to, to others that are kind of newer in the market and things like this. But you mentioned there that uh, right at the beginning that obviously you started off in education and the pandemic kind of drove this new business opportunity for you. And it's funny you said that it took you a while to kind of figure out what the difference is between online learning and virtual events. In my mind, one of the things was that virtual events tend to be mass participatory in, in, its, in essence, maybe on a larger scale than maybe most online learning, either done kind of like as a solo thing or maybe in smaller groups and things like that. But it's interesting that they both have a desire to use technology like yours to engage those attendees or students, I guess. Uh, do you think you'll see many virtual event platforms or event technologies kind of go the other way? Do you see that opportunity happening that those will go into more of the online learning space? I what I actually what I see is and I've even heard from some event platforms already is that some of their they're missing out on some of the sales uh, opportunities because 
the client is actually looking for an event platform, but also looking for an integrated LMS, a learning mm. management system, like ones that, that can be connected. And our larger vision is such that everybody talks about this 365 community, but I don't really think <laughs> that people have really defined it. But I'll, I'll share, I'll take a stab at what I see it being is I see the calendar year as the time frame that you're talking about. And mm. I actually built a model around this, which I, I made a hamburger model of this. And the bottom, the calendar year is the bottom of the bun. And events are like pickles. You, you put a pickle here or there, but you don't cover the whole year in events. Like you've got yeah. them kind of selectively. I see the LMS as being the layer on top of that, like the burger across the entire year. So think about the timeframes for keeping this ongoing digital dialogue with these customers that you really want to be engaged with your brand, your company, your organization, is that you would have a, a learning portal, you would have an event system, and then they're connected in the sense that we, we have events being kind of like these celebrations of learning, as I call them. They're these milestones or they're specific times during the calendar year that you really want to get these people together, uh, offer a completely unique, different learning opportunity. That's mm -hmm. how I see events mm -hmm. as being a condensed version of learning done in so many different ways than traditional learning is done. So weave together the learning management system we keep them along so they come, they're learning about content that we want them to on an ongoing basis. We, we pop them into an event to celebrate that. We transition them back into a learning management system. So that's the cadence between events and learning management system. But stacking the burger, I mean, a burger with just a bun and a patty is not that wonderful. So we need to put in some cheese, which I see as like an e-commerce platform in there. So we need to offer them opportunities to purchase from us. Mm -hmm. And then I see um, like the sauces as being like marketing and sales engines that we put in, in all intertwined in there. And where we see Incently is, is we are the engine that provides the incentives between all of those layers and ties it all together. So I think the learning, so I think the LMS and the event industries are two digital ecosystems that should be talking to each other and connected, but there's more to stack in there. I think that's such a great analogy. And definitely as somebody that's into their food, I totally get that 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 burger <laughs> stack. In fact, I'm kind of quite hungry now. Um no, I think I think that's a I think that's a great thing. I think I think the challenge there is most event organizers aren't educators consistently. Maybe there's an opportunity there. Maybe there's an but, opportunity for, for businesses to evolve and actually offer more value through the rest of the year through that and, and have all those layers. But I don't well, think they're, they're, they're that's and, and this is, I think this is why the partnership model and framework is so interesting and appealing to me is because someone like myself coming into the industry, I come from an education background. Mm -hmm. Sure, I know about events. I've been to events as an attendee. I've exhibited in booths, uh, I've sponsored them, I've worn those three hats, but I'm not an event organizer. I haven't planned an event, I haven't ran, I could never pretend to be an event organizer or, or professional. It's not, that's not what my background is. So I, I suffer from imposter syndrome in that sense where we're coming into a, a new vertical, but I think everyone 
in all those tech stacks that I talked about would be in the same boat. Like, yeah, you just said like a, an event professional there. Well, they're not going to really understand the LMS side of things. Totally fair. But that's where the importance of these partnerships come down, where that, you know, we could we could come to an event platform who's saying like, hey, Jeff, uh, we really could benefit from using an LMS uh, to, to do what you just said, connect learning, you know, throughout the year from course bases to event base. Can you help us? And my answer would be, of course, I know lots of people in the LMS world. We can we could even support that for you. Um, but do I have any, I don't have an e-commerce platform, but we can connect to one. So you start to just look to the, to build those relationships so that you can offer those larger digital ecosystems and really drive that, that end attendee stickiness that you want, but it's going to require partnerships to do that. And yeah. that's where really making sure that those systems in that you have in place account for being able to then work with with other people and for me i'm a social person so collaborating with people in other verticals and industries i get so much energy out of that because i just get to learn so much more about how things work and then not only like this is going to be a bit selfish but it's it really helps you refine your product roadmap like what is actually helpful and useful to our partners how can we maximize the value of our combined offering? So there's so much, I think, that the value of partnerships are really required in those to, to not only get the technology exposure and access, but you need the expertise. You need, you need both. So what my opinion of, of you launching out of a, you know, a very clearly having a very successful business in 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 education and online learning, and transitioning to an events. And for me, it's almost like you potentially have two stakeholders to convince to work with you. You have the customer and client who wants to use your technology, but then also that technology that they're either currently using or potentially might choose as a vendor. That seems extremely challenging to build a business around that ecosystem. Very lucrative, I'm sure, and very great going forward because being agnostic, you can work with anybody and for everybody. So so long-term, big scope, like the best position to be in. But initially that must be that what like what were some of the challenges of kind of getting started in that in that sphere? Yeah. Well we still we still suffer for it. I was just on a call yesterday from an event agency looking to use our solution with one of their client projects. And we do not have an integration with the event platform that they mm -hmm. work with. So one thing that I find, which is, again, so there's not a, there's a, I'm going to say there's a friction filled pathway ahead if we were to be able to support that client. That being said, some of our biggest projects have been client led or client pushed uh, partnerships. Mm -hmm. So the client identifies our technology goes to their platform provider and says, make this happen. So, so part, it's a, that's part of the, actually the playbooks that we, we have, we have, so out of the sphere of what are these, how do these relationships develop? That is certainly one very, very, I would say dominant pathway for us. In fact, some of our largest projects have been strictly that client led, you know, pushing. So it could be something like an agency is saying, uh, you know, we need this partnership, but you're, th it's a huge challenge for us. That is the number one challenge for us is 
we're not a standalone product. We need to work inside of another platform to give you, uh, there's over a, to give you an idea of the verticals we work in, there's over a thousand different LMSs on the market and it's growing all the time. Uh, the, when I came to the event industry, I was had such relief because I found out there was, you know, maybe only 400 platforms <laughs> to work, you know, that we could be working with. So, you know, it was just such a such a nice feeling that, hey, I have like, you know, less than half the number of potential, you know, platforms that we have to work with. So uh, but it's, it's a huge challenge. Uh, but again, uh, that comes down to the partner playbooks and then really looking at what building that strategy on uh, everything from identifying appropriate partners to actually connecting with them and then all the way to that customer success, which we can dig into at any point too. I, I, I would love to get to that. It's, it's interesting you say that customer push through that acquisition, uh, the customer acquisition first, therefore then pushes that partnership too, because I was speaking to... Um, Joe, one of the founders at Bear Analytics, and their experience is very much the same. When the when the client over and the client spend enough money with the platform, that lubricates the wheels a little bit, makes the cogs turn, and things and things happen. You mentioned a word that I think there's some great misunderstanding around in this industry because it is not a tech industry; it is not built upon technology really, which is integration. And I think the misunderstanding is there is what that actually means and it means so many different things to so many people right and then to come on to as part of that we're going to talk a little bit about the app store model but could you could you define kind of like three or four different levels of what integration can mean because i think that'd be really helpful for the audience that's listening absolutely yeah the word partnership in fact is the word that i think gets thrown around a lot mm, and it okay. really it means something different depending on who you're talking to, uh, which companies are, are talking to each other. Uh, so basically take a step back from the, the partnership as the top, you know, top level word that we're talking about. I've kind of identified three different types of partnerships. So the first being an affiliate partnership. And if we're to make analogies that's kind of like in the dating world, you're like the matchmaker. You're like, mm -hmm. oh, I know that person over there and you would be really good, uh, you know, you'd, you'd be really well set up if you went and talk, you know, uh, connected with that person over there. So in terms of the affiliate type, I know there is sometimes pay, you know, there's pay, sometimes there's small payments made for those, uh, but I see those more as kind of handoff partnerships. So we have an agreement, but I'm gonna hand the client off to you and then you can manage that client all on your own. So that's that's alive and well on, on a number of different types of, of companies, specifically in the event space as well. Lots of different affiliate partnerships there. Then the next kind of a bit more of a deeper partnership that I see is the collaborative partnerships. And that's where, generally speaking, two companies will come together and work on a combined single project. So they're both helping the same client at the same time. And I think, you know, I, I don't want to speak too much about the event industry because it's not my wheelhouse, but I look at like the AV industry or the food services industry and the event production industry. Like those are the kinds of collaborative partnerships. Um, you know, we have our AV guys or we have our food, uh, you know, people, our team that we work with. So those are kind of the collaborative ones that's obviously well established. And then there's the integration partnerships, which is certainly where I spend the majority of my time. 
And then baked into the integration partnerships, um, there's kind of two flavors that I have seen arise. Uh, one being an app marketplace. So with our technology, we have, act we have actively built into an app marketplace. And then the technology that is interesting in the sense that like how the, the technology handoff happens, like, so where does the customer come in on the partner portal? Um, where does the technology handoff happen so that they come onto our side on the app marketplace? Um, from what I've seen so far, most of the app marketplaces, once that integration has been built, it typically leads to more of like an affiliate or referral type model because mm. there is usually some small rev share that goes along with that. But we're the ones who are going to you know, do everything from the lead generation from the sales process in terms of onboarding and customer success, like that, that client lands on, uh, on our paper. Then another flavor of that integration framework is really the, uh, I just call it a, a solid integration. There's no app marketplace. It's the integration is built and then the partnership uh, works in such a way that if the partner is comfortable and can use our technology, we have partners that can actually create accounts on behalf of their clients on our software and manage the clients themselves. And in that particular case, we do what's called more of a reseller partnership where we share more of the revenue as our partner takes on more of the work. Part of that depends on then the partner and what their preference is in terms of do they want to hand the relationship off to a third party provider like ourselves or um, do they want to manage that on their own? Do they have the team that can manage that on their own? Um, but basically the, the integration side of things typically leads to a rev share system. And our personal view is, which just I think just makes sense, which is we, we share more revenue as the partner takes on more of the work. It's kind of how, yeah, the logical way of going about it. That's the SaaS model, right? It's software as a service yeah. and then somebody else is doing the service and you're doing the software. Yeah. That, that, that totally yeah. makes sense. But I would imagine then in some scenarios, what would happen is that that kind of thing would be also white labeled. So not necessarily kind of apparent that it's being powered by Ascently. Maybe it is in, in, in other scenarios and things like that. But well. Yeah. Funny you say that too, because I, I think on the, again, on the integration side, I see still a lot of people that have a different perspective on what the word integration means. So on a lot of technology that use the word integration, they're like, they're like this, they kind mm. of, they pass some information over from one to the other and they say that they're integrated. Whereas my, my personal view is, is an integration is where like our system or a system will work completely inside of the other and the end user is unaware that they're actually on two different systems. So typically a lot of the event technology platforms are starting to accommodate iframes because they realize they want to have other systems working in there within their environment, but they don't want people leaving obviously the parent platform. So to me, the word integration too also needs a partner partnership needs to be defined and then integration needs to be defined. Like, what is it? What is it from the end user perspective? Yeah, my analogy of this is that it's the same as the automotive industry, right? Interestingly, if you take an Aston Martin DB9 apart, there are Mercedes parts in there. There's some Peugeot parts. There's some other manufacturers and things like that because economies of scale and manufacturing processes mean certain companies are going to be better 
at producing high quality versions of certain parts. It doesn't make sense for most companies to go out there and literally start investing in R&D and development and testing and everything for every single one of these little parts. But ultimately, the person who owns the car is not really going to care about just how it makes them feel, right? Or, or, or the purpose it serves for them. And this is where I think you're right. Those, those really tight integrations are great technology powering an aspect of a bigger, more vibrant experience or more vibrant platform. Because for that one company to do every single thing, I don't think they're going to do it very well. They might have a great system overall, but it's not going to be a fantastic engagement experience or a fantastic registration process. It's not going to be cutting edge. Whereas when you've got a company like yours, that's that's what they're really focusing and really honed it on, that becomes an excellent product in its own right, right? So therefore becomes a better experience overall. Absolutely. I think you're bang on. The analogy of the car is actually a wonderful one. I hadn't even thought about that. So good on you. But it's, <laughs> but it's right. But And I was actually, while you were saying that, I was actually thinking under the hood, you can't see those parts that they're different. You just see the finished product. So as I'm driving that car, this just, this works. It sounds good. It feels good. Uh, and I, I expect, I think right now, people's expectations, especially because of the competitive nature of the, the market, you better have an unbelievable end user experience. And so the two parts of that is so the, the UI UX side needs to be bang on, but also the, uh, the, the parts that are put together, they need to really complement each other in such a way that they're stacking that value because like you just said, they're not, the, some of these companies have realized they're not gonna go out and build all of these you know, crazy additions onto their platforms. And, I, and I've seen that in the partner side. That's why companies are opening up the app marketplaces. That's why they're looking to publish their API and webhooks saying like, Kate, hey, can you please come in and build onto our systems? Yeah, and there's, there's, it's happening with things like Zoom, right? Zoom have got a big name in, in the meeting, online meeting space. They've now launched their their event, Zoom events, but I know they're actively engaging with other event complementary event technologies or tools that will help enable them to be a much more user-friendly, um, des better designed experience because the organizer will then be able to pick and choose the technologies, but they won't have to worry and stress about. And that's kind of the app marketplace, right? That's the app marketplace model, which is, which is Zoom's going down. So I wonder if, Jeff, if you could just explain a little bit more about that model, because I think that that's one of the models, especially with the larger organizations, C-Event, Zoom, and others, that's the, that's the route that they're going to go down, right? Yeah, I think the app marketplace is a really interesting one uh, for a couple of reasons. One being the third-party integrators like ourselves, we can we can start to look at the different providers that have an app marketplace and start to look at, well, how well do so first of all i know then right off the bat this technology is is capable of taking our our third party integration on like we we know that there a connection could be made because to be honest there's actually a fair number of platforms that we find that we actually cannot connect with their technology was not built to have these third-party integrations built onto them. So in terms of the partner playbooks, that's a big first step is identifying, can this, can this platform actually have our system work on it? 
So by opening up an app marketplace, you're communicating, you're saying, saying yes, we will take on other integrations. So that's the first one. Um, the, the second one is really the, uh, the framework and how I think the, the partnership works in terms of what's the rev share, um, are there listing fees? Are there pay to play fees that we're finding? Some will charge like, hey, if you want to be an app on our app marketplace, um, there are fees associated with that. And so first is identifying, can we join with them? Second of all is, does it make business sense for us to actually connect to them? Uh, and then the third interesting part is I, I think from the platform's perspective is, is that obviously they're looking to generate some additional revenue. So that revenue share is going to come in for them. Uh, but I also think that the, what better way uh, to look at other companies to acquire once you have an app mark, marketplace up and running, like you would easily be able to see the client demand, you would see the number of installs, you'd see the number of rev being generated from that. So it makes sense from a strategic standpoint to have an app marketplace. Uh, you're also obviously not doing the R&D and building it all out. Mm. Um, so there's many reasons why I, I see platforms wanting to go that way. Um, I think the downside, like we have some of, one of our platforms um, that we've connected to in our app marketplace and the e-learning side, it's kind of like the, the uh, you know, the, the Google Play Store or the Google Play Store, the, the App Store, is that at some point you start getting so many apps available I feel like it's that classic, you know, when people come shopping and there's so many choices that they actually don't know what to do and what to choose from. So I think that there's something going forward. That's where I see the app marketplaces maybe running into some trouble is how many apps do you really need? So if it's, you know, um, um, depending on the categories that they break down on the uh, within the app marketplace, how many do you really need to to put in there? And the last thing I'll mention about that, redundancy in the app stores is a requirement. I've talked to an event platform that had a, a partner who did one specific functionality for them. And they were like, yep, we've got our partner. They do this job for us. Well, that partner got acquired and suddenly now this platform has no no other backup, no other option. Right. So the way I see these app marketplaces being a defensive play is also that the platform can build redundancy in the different tech offerings that they have under each of those categories, whether it's you know engagement or data or whatever it is, but you have a few different players to choose from that supports your platform in those ways. Interesting. So do you think then that some, to me it suggests that some platforms or, or main proprietary technology choice with the app stores really need to think about a bit of quality control and curation and ensuring that stages of going hey not just hey here's our apr launch an app get it accredited take pay pay your fees and, and we'll list you because i could imagine some people just seeing a whole business in that but like then as soon as one of those technologies breaks down or it's not a great user experience, that's going to reflect badly on the parent technology, right? Yeah, I think that's the, that's a, you know, you're opening a can of worms there. I think on the platform side, how do you gate your marketplace? And mm. I've, we've actually been on 
the beginnings of app marketplaces now a couple of times. So a, a platform will say, hey, we're starting an app marketplace. Uh, their analogy is like we're building this bookshelf and we need to put books on the shelf. So you can't just open up a bookshelf and have nothing on it. Like you yep. need to have books on that. So the apps being, they need to stock it with something. So we've been in the first kind of the first play into those app marketplaces. Uh, there's advantages, I think, to doing that. Uh, but we also get to learn, uh, build a bit better of a relationship with the platform as well. But I think the, so they're opening their door. They're trying to get people to come in. But I think longer term, like I was saying, is how how do you, once you started to get some books on the shelf, how do you decide, like, do we build another shelf? Do we keep adding books? Do we just kind of keep our library? Like, if we're going to add a new book, we've got to toss, toss another one out. I think there's a whole lot of questions in there that I, I don't know the answers to. Uh, and obviously, as new products are being developed and new companies come around, there's going to be some decisions that need to be made around that point. But I think in terms of the redundancy, uh, if you look at the apps that are being listed in different categories, if I was the partner platform, I would certainly look for, for a minimum of two, probably no more than five in any category. Mm -hmm. I think once you go above five, then the user, like, I don't know which one to choose and how long you're starting to put the pressure on the client to figure out which of these solutions in this category is the best for me. So I think pre-filtering some of that out, but I think kind of a healthy number would be three to have in each category. You've got three to choose from. And ideally within that category, these three do slightly different things. Yeah. And maybe if you're really like, let's we're into the gamification engagement space. So let's say you were an app marketplace and you had three gamification providers in there. Maybe if you're really into gamification, because these three are all different, you could use all of them in your event because they're not going to do that. They're not competing against each other. They're just different flavors of, of, of engagement. So there's some decisions to be made for sure on the parent platform on how to do this. But I think a lot of these platforms are, are new at that and they're going to have to figure this out. Like this, these app marketplaces are not, they haven't been established for as long as, you know, Apple and Google have had theirs. So there's going to be some, yeah, some figuring out to do there. Well, more, we know more choice isn't better. Nobody likes more yep. choice. Everybody thinks they like they might like choice, but what, there's one thing that retail and hospitality and other things have is that less choice is often more inducive to people buying or, or taking a product or, or buying something from you because it's like you walk. We're going to use the we're going to use the food analogy. You walk into a pizza place. There's the margarita. There's the garlic bread. There's two meat options and there's a, maybe a fish. That's your lot. Not like every single combination of anything that you can think of as toppings on that track because it's overwhelming, right? And, yep. and it costs, it starts to cast doubt in your own mind as to actually what do you want and then really overanalyze things. And yep. I, I always believe you've hit the nail on the head, three to five choices are perfect. And if none of those don't hit, maybe it's not right for you. But um, it, it's interesting that you said that um, earlier on that you said strategically at marketplaces can be, a good thing and I'm you know I'm going into my mind of the M&A acquisition and the exit and, and I don't know maybe Zoom or one of the other big players going Incently's rocking let's let's buy them which is as a founder let, let's be honest every founder probably wants that feather in their cap at some point right it's it's part of the journey but does that also not strike a challenge or a balance or maybe some fear as to if we're doing too well is it better to build than buy? Like, 
do you see is there anything in there that protects you as a founder maybe this is advice to other event technologies that are in a similar position to incently that do they need to protect themselves in terms of those competitive things kind of bubbling to the top yeah great question and i i think as any other founder would would probably admit i mean when you build out a company and a technology um i'm i certainly never started this thinking about the acquisition process or or getting you know that being the ultimate goal uh basically all of the the time and energy is focused on building just an outstanding product that will stand on its own and people will buy it the the funny part is, is uh, in terms of our integration, it's not a standalone product. So we have to partner with other platforms. Mm. And by that nature, they are going to very much have an open window and see how exactly our solution works for their clients. Yeah. So based on the nature of it, it's a, our business is a very open one with the partners that we, that we work with. Uh, in the event that it made sense for for us to be acquired, of course, that would be something we would look at. But it's definitely not what we, you know, we started out to do. Uh, you know, you kind of fall into these scenarios. Like I've I've fallen into so many things that where I am today, like it wasn't certainly I could never say this was the plan. Like we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna be this partnering, you know, framework and our ideal situation would be, you know, to be acquired. That's not that never crossed my mind in the beginning. It just happens to be that the integration nature of of us and a lot of other technology out there, I think the uh you know the acquisition side I think is just part of the the nature of, of being in a software company. It just you see it all the time, and I, I, I expect the mergers and acquisitions, even in the event space, to to continue. Uh, you know, maybe even speed up as the as we transition. People are figuring out, obviously, going from in person to virtual to hybrid to now back into person. Where who know? Like I think these these technologies, including ours, like a lot of people see ours as just a virtual solution but in fact i actually see it being really well used in person that message needs to get out so i think even you know when we build an app integration i don't even know that our platform providers are seeing past that they're seeing like oh this would be great for our virtual world and i have to say like no 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 it can work also in in person so i think those are the kinds of things that need to like the the partner or the platform needs to see over time to see mm. like would an acquisition even make sense here because if you're seeing this technology only being used you know in a small part of your business well obviously that's to me why it's so appealing as an app marketplace you would see that versus hey we can actually use this in all of the different types of events that we run that's way more valuable to us so if i was a part if i was a platform provider and had you know, huge budgets in the team to, to build an, an integration system. And we were looking to either bolt on or acquire, um, just add value to our system. I think, you know, these, these conversations are where, where it's at for that. Uh, instead of spending all that time, uh, you know, like we talked about doing all that R&D. But um, yeah, the the uh, the app marketplaces. I, I'd be curious to talk to other founders and and get their opinions. Like, what what is it that compelled you to to move in this direction? Because that would be it'd be really interesting. Well, as we've already discussed, Jeff, off 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 the podcast, that's something I'm hopefully going to kind of bring into a part of Event Tech Live and now 
don't get me wrong, Event Tech Live is there and always will be pr primarily as a, a as a place to connect with potential customers or existing customers and buyers. That is its essence. It's a lead generation. It's an event to bring people together. We do a huge amount of education, but underneath that, there has always been a value in the room of connecting with other non-competing or non-competitive suppliers. I mean, even it's a small industry, even com competitors kind of use the event to, to, to network with each other and catch up and, and, and have a whinge and a moan and all that kind of stuff. But there's definitely something we're going to try and, or I'm going to try and foster at Event Tech Live is a, is a, is a place or a moment in time where people who do want to discuss partnerships and can have those conversations and have that business, the, the technology business conversation around events as part of, of that. So for those that are listening, if, if other event technology companies, founders like Jeff, who are kind of on that integration on the app marketplace path, if there's others interested, reach out to me, let me know. We're going to try and do at least some form of roundtable or intimate session for those kind of to, to come together this year. And maybe that's something we can build on. That was the whole premise of the Event Tech Founders Group, right? That's That was what, something that I set up at the beginning of uh, the pandemic because I knew as much as there was all this support for organizers, the technology companies themselves were going to have huge challenges kind of scaling, growing, finding partnerships, working with the right streaming company, working with the right developers and all this kind of stuff to grow. And that, that was the that was the foundation of that. But we're, we're hopefully going to do something for you, Jeff, at Event Tech Live to make that happen in person. I have been to your networking sessions, Adam, and I have to say they've been some of the best networking that I've done uh, just to talk about this, the same things that we're talking about. Uh, it would be awesome to do it in person. So I'm going to be at Event Tech Live in November. So I would happily join that table and be more than happy to share some of the work that we've done on the playbooks too, to, to give people some ideas about, you know, how, if they're new to the idea, if they want interested in starting, like what is it like to be a platform provider to initiate those conversations? Or what is it like to be a third party provider and, and, have those conversations with the platforms. I, I'd be more than happy to to participate. We might end up leading it, Jeffrey. Yeah, it might, might be. Maybe I just signed up for something. There. <laughs> <laughs> as a, as a final thought on, on this podcast, your experiences come from education. For my research, online learning is growing and growing and growing. There doesn't seem to be any slowdown or drop off when it comes to online learning. Yet. When we produce events, pretty much every event is underpinned in some way by learning and education, whether that's one-to-one, peer-to-peer, group sessions, education by being taught from somebody on a stage to, to, to mass. And there's all of a sudden there's this, well, for, for one, there was almost too many event technology companies in the space through the pandemic. That was, that's what I heard a lot of people say, but there's so many more online learning education solutions. Mm -hmm. And then there's this virtual events are dead. Nobody wants them anymore. They're not engaging, which is obviously what you help with. I don't believe that for a second. I believe we're going through a transition period of people that were born out of in-person events wanting to get back to in-person events. And that's, that's, that's sensible. That's, that's, that's what business has existed before. So that's where they want to get back to. But I don't believe for a second that virtual events as a, part of the sector as a method for delivery of an event is dead. I think the world has changed a little bit. And I think people are 
also still more strapped for time. So they might sign up for a virtual event, but maybe ultimately not end up being able to go. I sign up for lots of in-person events and don't end up going though. What, what's your opinion, having having had that experience from education on online learning and seeing the event space and then the, dro- the supposed drop off of virtual events and things like that, like you've got much more experience in this sphere than me. Like what would what would you predict the future looks like for the space? I'm excited about it. I, and I think the main reason is, is because of the the integration systems that are getting put built together. Like I think the event platforms had such a huge pressure to be able to run events in such a small amount of time Mm -hmm. and pretty like hats off to the entire industry. I mean, there was some amazing work that was done in such a small amount of time to get there. But I think what has, what we're seeing now is this transition to these app marketplaces and these integrations is there, these companies are realizing, okay, we've got kind of a a solid understanding of an event platform, but what else can we add to this Mm. to add value to our end users? And I always use the phrase, how do we keep and maintain an ongoing digital dialogue with these people so that maybe we see them in person from time to time at these events, but for the most part, we're not going to see them. So how do we keep this ongoing dialogue going so we keep them interested in our organization, our products and services? And I look at learning as a spectrum. Like there's a spectrum mm-hmm. of what I call hobby learning. So let's say I want to learn how to garden or play the guitar um, all the way up to like mandatory compliance required. Like I will get fired if I yeah. don't learn this. And I think in the event space, we need to be mindful of like, what is our end user on that spectrum of learning? Where are they? And a lot of our work lies in what we call B2B customer education. So Mm -hmm. there's no requirement for these people to do this learning. And I see the event industry is in that space. Like it's people who want to learn for the most part, obviously there's, you know, uh, employment reasons for, for being at events, but for the most part, we are trying to appeal to people that don't have to be there. Like you just said a minute ago, like I don't, I sign up for stuff, I don't show up, or I, or let's just like you're you're there, but you don't really participate, or you're not really getting into it, and therefore you're missing out. Like you're not getting the most out of that experience. So I see the virtual event space being uniquely positioned to offer opportunities for learning that actually cannot be offered in person. So if you can start to weave in an e-learning system, and if you can weave in a community where you can group people together that have what we call user-generated content. So it's people that are specialists in certain topics and certain content areas that they can share their their knowledge and their learnings with other people, like-minded people. So I actually see the virtual space as being something that has just started and it's just about stack, like building that burger, as I I call it. You just start stacking other things to keep people connected. Uh, I mean, I don't want to get into the metaverse and I know that's a big part of it as well that's, that's coming up in the event space, but those are examples of these layering that I think this experience, uh, you know, can, can augment. Ultimately the in-person side yeah, it's it's wonderful. It's awesome, uh, but the likelihood how many how many in person events are you going to go to? I mean, not you, because <laughs> you're going to go to a lot. But how many in person events is the average person going to actually go to in a year? Like maybe a couple. And I think the rest. If if we're interested about long term 
connection and that dialogue with those people, we need to, to have a better digital ecosystem of engagement and places that they can learn. So weaving together the partnership model only makes sense to me. Absolutely, Jeff. Well, I really appreciate you coming on to today's podcast and giving us all that overview because I, th I think it's a, a, a huge area that many don't kind of fully understand or haven't started their journey on yet and things like that. Maybe there's even a, a, a consultancy business for you there, Jeff, just in that alone. But for anybody that does want to kind of connect with you, learn more about Incently, maybe even look to partner with you, where's the best place to go? Yeah, easiest would be just email me, jeff at incently.com. Uh, that'd be the easiest. <laughs> uh, the other way, you, uh, you could find your way through our uh, our website on the contact form, and I would eventually get that. Uh, but I really would be happy to help the event community to talk about, to dive more into, like, what does our playbooks look like? like how do we identify partners? Um, what are the steps from initiating a conversation to signing an agreement? That's kind of part, partner playbook number one. And then partner playbook number two is once the agreement is in place, uh, what are all of the steps required to get customer success at the end? So done a lot of work on that. I'd be happy to you know help chat with people if they're interested in learning more. So yeah, be totally happy to. And at Event Tech Live, if you have that round table, I'd be more than happy to be a part of that session. So I'm volunteering right now. Listen, uh, everybody that's listening or watching, more information coming soon. Jeff, thank you once again for spending time with me today to discuss this. I found it extremely interesting. Maybe there'll be an event partnership playbook part two coming soon and um, for everybody that's listened or watched please give it a like please give it a share reach out to jeff and we'll see you in the next episode thanks for having me adam i really appreciate it thanks Bye. everyone mm -hmm.